Hey everyone, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions, and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy the Breakthrough Breakdown. Uh, Welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. This is Jason. This is Amanda. Kate Hopple. And John Hopple. So we are almost done with the God Is series, and this uh, this Sunday, now again, everybody listening, we record this beforehand, but we talk in the post just so that nobody gets confused. <laughs> but uh, we we actually are, we just talked about God's power. And it's interesting because these are the ones, these, the last three parts of the Lord's Prayer aren't found anywhere in the bio, in the, the prayer itself. They're found throughout Scripture and other places, but they were added in through church history and the week before last, we talked about for yours is the kingdom. And how cool, how cool was baptism at the lake? Yeah, That's pretty great. awesome. My That's favorite awesome. event of the year. It was yeah. so great. And I think we actually, I think we lost track a little bit because it got a little like fun chaos. It was like Holy Spirit driven for sure there at the end where it was like, as the spirit moves, because everybody's moving. We had like, there was at one point, like people just ran into the water and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, and then we had to call people back because we had. <laughs> it was good though. Yeah. It was such a great day, but. Uh, for those who, if you missed the the message, the the last Sunday's message or two Sundays ago message, we talked about the kingdom and baptism and and the breakthrough breakdown. We walked more. We talked a whole bunch about infant baptism in the last episode. Uh, today we're talking about for yours is the power. And interestingly enough, when we talk about the issue of power, uh, it's such an important thing. But really, we talked about this idea of freedom. And responsibility. Now, uh, how many of you got your driver's license at 16? Anybody anybody get their driver's license late? I got I got my driver's license at 16, but I remember getting a learner's permit. 15? On, yeah, I think it was maybe late 14. I don't remember exactly. But it was just so that I could drive from my house to the school and back and... That's all I stuck to. I was, and then even when I got a license, I was like, oh, can I well, Okay, go what was your else? first car? What was your first car? I think it was a 92 Mazda. Oh. It was a black Mazda. Okay. That died at the every intersection I stopped at. <laughs> it was like a zombie. I didn't get my permit because I was different. We can drive at 14, you get a permit, and you can drive with an adult, and then you can get a school permit, and you can go from the house to school. Yeah. At 15, um, right? At, four, at, at 14, 14, you can qualify for it. So we, there are 14-year-olds on the road alone, everyone listening <laughs> to this. That's terrifying. Now. I know. <laughs> if you're listening in your car right now, be vigilant. Um, but, and then I didn't get my permit until like 15 and a half because if you did your driver's license or your driver's ed, Within six months of getting your license, you didn't have to take the test. Oh, and that's yeah. how much I wanted to scan the system. Yeah, so no, I, I get did it. not take the test. My first car was a Plymouth Duster. Somebody You had a duster? Yeah, dude. Somebody paid my, my youth dad pastor $50, had a duster. $50 to take it from them. He did not pay for my first car. Someone paid him. It didn't have an actual window. It had a plexiglass window. And my dad had like rigged a heater at the bottom <laughs> with a toggle switch. But if somebody in my passenger seat put their foot on the toggle switch, it would melt their shoe. <laughs> that was my first car. Like a nuclear reactor yes. in your car. What was yours? I mean, it's like, I still don't have a first car. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I got my school permit at 14. You had to do driver's ed and then you could get your school permit. Yeah. Um, But for the first... Like, 14 and 15, I drove, we always had an extra car. Like, my parents had their cars, but then an extra. So, sure. for the longest time, I drove, like, the extra Jeep we had. And it was, like, a nicer so it was, one. It was, like, but the it rough wasn't, life. It, it was, wasn't it was rough mine. But when I officially no got, like, my own vehicle, it was a Hyundai Sonata. Oh, nice. I don't remember what the year was. But I remember it was white. It was probably like a 2020. I mean, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it was a future me, car. I, I've never had a car that's like been falling apart or anything. Sure. So I've been very blessed with that. But so my first car, so I got, I did driver's permit and I, our driver's ed, and I've talked about that in the message. But I remember um, my mom bought a car in 1989, maybe it was 88. Anyways, it was a Ford Escort. It had no electric. So the, the windows, you had to do the power. roll up. Yep. No power windows. It had uh, barely had AC. I don't even think it had AC. I think it just had heat and then like wind. No, no radio. Yeah. 
and uh and and but it had automatic seat belts which made no sense to me like you had power seat belts but nothing else power and then it actually got stolen my senior year of high school (laughs) someone someone broke into my locker at school targeted me took my car but here's the worst part it was right before prom all my prom money was in my my locker so my date had to drive to prom because they stole my license and my car. Wow. And you're like, I guess and, we're getting McDonald's for and, dinner. Well, so my, my buddy, my friend spotted me like 40 bucks for, for wow. prom. And I went with this girl and, and this is so pitiful. And like after 45 minutes, she's like, I'm bored. Can we go? And so we, she took me home. Wow. I made up for it by going to like five other proms. So it was totally okay. But you don't want to peak in high school anyway, bro. No, <laughs> I did not peak in high school. I was so far from the, I was so far from the mountaintop in high school school like I was I was drifting in the valleys man (laughs) but so I bring it up because like here's the thing we talked about this idea of before we get to power we have to think about freedom and I remember when when I was a kid we used to love riding bikes and again we talked about this on Sunday is that idea of freedom and I for me when once I got a license now I grew up in California freedom for me meant I could go to the beach so I'm 16 years old, man. I went to the beach any opportunity I had because I was 25 miles inland. Prior to that, I only got to go to the beach when anybody else wanted to go, which wasn't very often. When you guys, when you think about freedom, what was that? I want you to go back. For some of you, it's a little longer. For me, that was 30 years ago. <laughs> when you think about that idea of freedom, um, what what was it that most excited? Was it the ability to like drive through the cornfields? I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't from Iowa, so I don't know what, I don't know what Iowans do at 16 or 15, but what was, what was kind of behind the idea of freedom for you? What most excited you? I think for me, like I got, I had my learner's permit. And then when I got my actual driver's license, I have younger siblings and my mom was a teacher. And so she would always have to pick us up in the past. Like, drive from the elementary school out to the middle school, high school and pick us up. Well, then it became my job. And so it was like, that's what I remember. I was like, I'm only going to the school. But then I'm like, oh, I don't have to go to the school anymore. I could go somewhere else. And I was like starting to make forays to Clear Lake or Mason City just, yeah. just because I could now. Isn't that the funny thing, though, is that the older you get now, I'm like, do I have to drive? When I was a kid, I looked <laughs> for any opportunity to drive. Yeah. And I think so. I think one of the, one of the questions that I'd, I'd love to process through a little bit is when we talk about faith. And I mean, Jesus says that he came that we might have freedom and that freedom is from sin, from shame. Um, here's the other part of it is that with freedom comes responsibility. And in fact, throughout the stages of life, we have different areas of responsibility. What do you think worldly freedom looks like? I mean, we have the Bible, we have the Bible's idea of freedom. How does the world define freedom? Independence Day, America. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's what I, that was my first thought that came into my head. First of all, you didn't say it right. It's not America. It's America. just America. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's you. If you're going to do it, do it right. It's just like I can do whatever I want and no one can stop me. Yeah. I, live your best life world, now. Live your best life now. The world is your oyster. You can do whatever you want. Oyster. Oyster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, Kate, like you, you weren't, you just, again, we've talked about this yeah. before. You're five years in. So you were living in that freedom for oh, a yeah. while. I, I think of like worldly freedom of the ability to choose your own path, choose your own truth. My individual rights yeah. is what matters most. I, I, I don't think that I really understood the idea of community mm-hmm. or a unity, like a real unifying sense of truth or even a way of belonging and being until I believed in Jesus so Christ. A responsibility is something bigger. Yes, of something bigger. bigger. It was very self-centered mentality is that freedom where yeah. it's like the freedom of self is worldly. Yeah, how about you, man? I'm yeah, I'm with Kate on that. Like I when I think worldly freedom, I think I can say and do whatever I want. Yeah. But then again, there's those consequences. Yes, you can say and do whatever you want, but it's not always the best choice yeah. Yeah. Um, to do. But yeah, just I can go wherever I want. I can do whatever I want. Nobody can stop me. Like they can the rule. Try. Yeah, like yeah, I make my own rules. Well, and there is that there is that sense of with freedom comes a lot of risk. And I think, you know, I, my daughter's getting into that. She's going to be 14 
like in a week from this podcast on f- next Friday, she'll be 14. And the thought of my daughter driving, like in my head, I'm like, she can't be old enough to drive. Legally, she will be to do according to what you Iowans yeah. tell me. Which now, <laughs> which now I'm Iowan because I, I have a truck. Right? I got Come a on. truck. I'm officially an Iowan. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I look at that and I, that's probably the hardest part. And I think about even for God's heart, I'm now being confronted with the reality that my daughter is going to have some freedom that she's never had before. And with that comes risk. Mm-hmm. Yep. And am I, have I prepared her and do I trust her enough? And that's, I think that's the thing that God's, you look at what God sees in the garden. He gave Adam and Eve freedom. Yeah. They had all this freedom. They only had one thing they couldn't do. And of course, that's the thing they wanted to do. Right. And that's the, that's what freedom is, is yeah, you have the freedom to choose right or wrong. And yeah. often that means we're going to choose wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Paul describes as this. He says, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> and the idea is that even as a Christian, yes, I have faith in Jesus now and Jesus forgives all my sins. And so therefore I have the freedom. I can commit any sin I want to and know that I'm forgiven. Now, a, a true Christian, someone who really loves Jesus doesn't have that mentality. But this actually was something that was going on in the early church. Paul talks about this in Romans. At one point, there's these people like, hey, the only way you experience God's grace is by sinning. So we should sin a bunch. And so Paul, in in Romans, he says, no, how many more times do you need to crucify Jesus? Like, uh, come on now. That's not why Jesus died is so you can abuse his grace. But then in Corinthians, he talks about this. There's actually a different thing. And we didn't get into this in the message at all. So in Corinth, you had um, Gentile believers and You had weaker and stronger Gentile believers. And what was happening is um, they they grew up, they were raised in a cult setting. And most of the time, their cults were part of a family guild or a a cult guild. And they would do meat or different parties and things and, and festivals, or not festivals, but meats. And here's what was happening. Every time someone would smell meat sacrificed to idols, these are people who left that old lifestyle. They had the freedom to eat it, but it made them, it tempted them to go back into yeah. their old ways. Mm. And there were other Gentile Christians who were like, this doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. And Paul's like, well, just because it's not affecting you, yes, it's your freedom to eat, do whatever you want in this case. Real freedom is the ability to choose not to do something. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. And, and I, think that's, I think that's the hardest part when we think about freedom is we think of freedom as what I get to choose to do, when real freedom is you actually have the freedom to choose not yeah, to which is something. harder. Way harder. Way harder. When you step into the faith, and if you're new as a Christian, or just new of following that, it's like, oh, I thought this would be easier. I thought this would make my life better. I thought this was my best life now. Yeah. And it's like, this is actually a lot harder to choose the right thing, yeah. to choose freedom, real freedom. It's, yeah. it's kind of interesting where it's like, you know, you have your parents or your guardians or, or grandparents or whoever telling you, hey, don't do this, don't do this, you can't do this. And you're like, oh, man, okay, fine, whatever. It makes you you want to do it more. It makes you want to do it. And then when you get to the age where you're like, oh, I can, I can try all these things, I can do all this stuff. You're like, oh, no, I think they they had the right mentality the whole time. (laughs) Well, almost like God knew what he was saying when he was like, don't eat from Mm -hmm. that tree. Yeah. Sometimes you need yep. to learn that yourself too, which yeah. is hard. Okay, so there was this old DC talk, if you're not familiar, <laughs> DC talk, and the, the song was Some People Gotta Learn the Hard Way. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I just, it's like so old. It's from like their <laughs> second album, I think. But I think there is something to be said is that with freedom comes responsibility. But what real freedom is, is the ability to exercise power in a responsible way. And, and part of the problem, and I, I alluded to this on Sunday, is the other side of the risk of freedom is the abuse of freedom or the abuse of power. And, you know, I, well, I made a comment and I think it's, it's worth kind of talking about is we use the car illustration because we all understand the freedom, but also the responsibility. Yeah. Prior to turning and actually owning a car, I thought once I got a license, like I had carte blanche and could drive anywhere and do anything I wanted to and yeah. didn't realize about gas or money or any of the things necessary for a car. Yeah. Insurance is the ticket. If you don't have insurance and you get pulled over is more expensive than just paying for insurance. By I, the way. Yeah. They Everyone do that out there was like, I don't need that. Yeah. They do that intentionally. <laughs> I know. But so here at Zion, one of the things that I've chosen to do and, and even thinking about that danger of freedom and power is, uh, you know, we moved uh, Derek, who was our youth pastor. We moved him into a family pastor and then we moved him into an executive pastor. Megan, who was our missions pastor, an executive pastor, she moved to an executive director. 
But one of the things that I've seen is that I can either have influence or power. And so I, I formed an executive team that really kind of functions to make sure, because I'm in this position as a, as a lead pastor, that if, if it's unchecked, a lot, of, a lot of harm can come when there's an unchecked power or yeah. when you don't have people speaking things into your life. That's, I think, the other side of freedom is that real freedom is also meaning that you put limits in yourself, recognizing that if you have total freedom, you'll usually make bad decisions. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. You're, you're, you're talking and I, I just, I'm hearing with great power comes great responsibility. I know, I'm like Spider-Man. And it's like, <laughs> Spider-Man, well, Spider-Man's my favorite Marvel superhero. He's probably my favorite superhero of all time. And he's, he can I'm do, Batman. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can, he can Shout do so many things and he, he, over like multiple comics, he just gets so many, so many different powers, so many different abilities. And yet he always goes back to that notion of like, what's what I don't do that's important. It's, yeah. it's what I, withhold from it's what i take care of that matters and yeah it's like it you have unlimited freedom and unlimited power you can just kind of do whatever you want you'll steamroll over whoever to get what you want yeah and even our council i mean that's like kind of the purpose of a church council is to kind of help mitigate that to some degree it's that that like age-old question of who polices the police yeah. who, who checks the people that are supposed to be checking yeah. who who keeps everyone in line but who keeps that person in line? Yeah. You know, it, you have to trust that these people are, have your, their best interests in heart, but we are sinful people. We yeah. see that from the beginning of creation that we can't be trusted with freedom. So how do we keep each other accountable? Which that in, that in comes to the next part is that the word that the Bible kind of uses this idea for freedom is authority. And while, yes, we say yours is the power the thing about the kingdom of God is that God didn't intend for him to do this alone. He always intended to hand out authority, to hand out power for us to do the things that we've been called to do. Yeah. And that word authority is, is so interesting. Um, one of the things that's, I think, so important for this is if you don't understand your identity, if you don't know who you are, authority can get really twisted. Amen. So like, Amanda, I think about you work at Culver's and you have authority in your job. Yep. Like, and what's, what's your job at Culver's? And you're also on staff here, but I mean, you, what do you do at Culver's? So I'm the general manager. Okay. Um, so I'm pretty much like in charge of everything. Yeah. Everything runs through me. If something's mm. not going right, or if I need something, like I figure it out, <laughs> yeah. figure it out and go from there. Um, so yeah, if something goes wrong, it falls on me. If something goes right, it's like, good job, Amanda. But at the same time, you can't do a lot of that stuff without a team and without other people. Um, but the other but side, yeah. but I think the other side of that is, is that while all that falls on you, if your identity was screwed up, I mean, how easily could you be a horrible boss? Oh, yeah. That <laughs> we all know them. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's, that's true. I think everybody at some point has worked for somebody who their, their identity wasn't secure. And so that came out sideways in their authority. Um, whether it be in a government setting, whether it be in um, in a job, or even in homes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think about the authority that's supposed to be given to a mother and a father. Yep. And what happens when their identity gets screwed up and it messes with their sense of authority. Yeah. Um, when you think about it, and Amanda, I'd be curious to think about you. So you work in both worlds. I think everybody else here works primarily in church. You actually have two identities and two different <laughs> sets of authority. Do they bleed into each other at all? Um, I think so in some aspects. I always, like, whenever we do, like, books, like, we just read through... The 21 Indispensable the, Laws. Yeah, yeah, the book and staff, and it's like, okay, ask yourself these questions. I have to sit there and think, okay, am I this type of leader here, or am I this type of leader here? Like, sometimes the lines blur, because it's like, I am a different type of a leader when I'm at Culver's versus when I'm at church. Yeah. and. And they're, in one way, you can be that same person, but in another aspect, it's like, no, this is an environment where I need to be maybe more strict or more structured. And then, you know, this is an environment where I need to be more sensitive or, you know, yeah. it's just different. So I always, like, it's very hard for me when we have to do <laughs> questions and then, like, figure out, okay, which 
what am, am I, I even? Like... <laughs> well, because you have two different sets of authority. Yeah. Yeah. Like here you carry a different authority working with you. Mm-hmm. And you also have a team and you also have a, a different boss. And so there's different plays, things that play into that. From a kingdom perspective, I think one of the things that's really has been pressed on me in the last several years, um, I think so many Christians don't understand what spiritual authority is. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember when I was in my my second youth ministry, I was at Peace Church in Egan, Minnesota. It was a Reformed Church of America. And they had this, uh, they had a a school, so to speak, where you could go in and you could, it was a commissioned pastor route where you did classes, but it was through the RCA, through the denomination. And we were reading. And I remember we kept on, we had this whole section on spiritual leadership. And every time they talk about it, the way they described it was so vague to me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remember going, I still don't understand what you think spiritual leadership is. And I didn't understand because the way they described it was almost like this nebulous. Well, you know if you have it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people respect you if you have it. Uh, and it was, there was no concrete things like what does spiritual authority look like? Mm-hmm. And I think in the last probably five, six years, I've really been thinking more and more about spiritual authority because one... I think some denominations get screwy on this because what they've done is they've made spiritual authority based on titles or education um, or how long you've done ministry as if if you've done it longer, you have more authority than somebody else does. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. I mean, Hebrews talks about the priesthood of all believers. And that idea was in the, in the old Testament, only the priest could come before the Lord. And now Hebrews talks about that. No, we're all now priests where we all now have mm-hmm. access to the throne room of God because of Jesus. We don't need a high priest because Jesus is our great high priest. Yeah, yeah you think about Jesus. If, if Jesus was going for the all-star team, he really picked horribly for his <laughs> disciples. He yeah. got fishermen. He got religious zealots. He got a tax collector. It was like, what well, are those you are doing? just the men. Oh yeah, like it, because oh, yeah. the Bible doesn't talk a lot about the women, but no. he got like adulterers, and mm-hmm. you know, women had no, almost no voice in the ancient world, yep. and that this is who Jesus chose. When you think about spiritual authority, what comes to mind for you when you think of what spiritual authority looks like? I think it's important to talk about too. Like, I love that you mentioned titles and education and being a man. And all of that, that sometimes gets twisted in the church. But also, I think sometimes we think about, like, gifts. If you think of, like, really charismatic areas, right? It's like, you want the gift more than the giver. And if you have a special gift or a certain spiritual gift, well, that shows your spiritual authority and things like that. And it kind of puts this, like, tiered system of Christianity where it's like, oh, you're a second-class Christian because you don't possess this gift. And I think that that spiritual authority that we have, the, the thing that I always have to think about is it's spiritual authority, as in I get it from the Holy Spirit yeah. through Jesus Christ. It is not my authority. It's by whose name do I say these things? Yeah. And I love that when you read that in scripture, when it's like Jesus spoke with an authority that no one had ever heard before. Yeah. I think of that. Well, and, and even the power of Jesus, and, and I didn't realize this for many years, but Jesus didn't perform any miracle without the Holy Spirit. Now, he forgave sins because he actually had the authority to do that as God's son. But the miraculous, because here's the thing is, as in order for him to be fully man and fully God, you can't be fully man and do supernatural things. We just don't have that ability. So Jesus, in order to be fully man, surrendered that self. That's what he says in Philippians 2, that he lowered himself. He, he, he took a place of humility in choosing not to do those. So when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, which we see in the baptism with John the Baptist, um, walking on water healing, raising people from the dead, healing the blind, casting out demons, even his own resurrection, those were through the Spirit's power. What Jesus did have authority to do, though, was forgive sins and to teach with authority. So when Jesus taught, he taught from who he was. His authority His authority came from his identity as yeah. a son. And his power came from the Holy Spirit. That's right. He had yeah. both authority and power. And here's the thing for us is that we have to have our authority, which comes from our identity, so, uh, seared into our sense of being. Yeah. And if I don't understand who I am, then I don't understand not only my authority, but I certainly don't understand my power. And the spiritual power, this is the part, again, I, got, I was raised, I'm so grateful for being saved in the Baptist church. But the Holy Spirit, I mean, we talked about him, but not a lot. Uh, later on, um, my, my best friend's mother and, and a few other people, we had a pastor who was really, um, really loved the Holy Spirit and kind of introduced some of the charismatic stuff. 
uh, at the Baptist Church charismatic meant you closed your eyes when you worshipped only every <laughs> once in a while, or yeah. or you raised your hand when the song said to. Yeah, um, that's right. And I remember first getting introduced, and then I was at the Vineyard, and I was I was a worship leader in the Vineyard for four years and mentored, discipled by a pastor. But I got exposed to this idea that there's actually a spiritual world. And that's what the spiritual authority looks like, is that ability to, um, we actually can cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And I've, I've only had, I can only say one true encounter that I believe was demonic with somebody who was possessed. Uh, it was a, a girl, I think she was 19, maybe 20. And we spent, you know, 45 minutes praying and casting out demons and Turned out she had had a boyfriend who, if I remember correctly, was a warlock. They, I mean, oh, man. That, oh, yeah, all man. kinds of demonic things. But that was like my first and really only time that I can say I ever encountered something like that. Yeah. Um, Have you ever had that experience where you wake up at 3.30 in the morning and you just like, <gasps> in the name of Jesus, if there's anything unholy around here, <laughs> let me fall back asleep, please, Lord Jesus. Ain't nothing in here but Jesus in me, okay? Is that how you talk to? That's exactly <laughs> how I do it. Your voice changes. Yeah, I, I pretend that I am like a very spiritual Southern lady that like has been Holy spirit. generations of the faith. Do you get really long eyelashes I too do. at the same time? And I flip my hair a little bit on back on my pillow and I say, yes, Holy Spirit. And then I'm just like, I'll take, I'll, I'll yeah, this my husband. just go to sleep. <laughs> and John's like, it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> I just needed a glass of lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I think, you know, sometimes we also forget that spiritual authority means there is a spiritual world. Yeah. And the okay. things that Jesus did, we actually are called to do as well. Jesus even tells us that. He says, listen, the same spirit that's in me, I give to you. And then he commands us and tells us that we're going to do even greater things than he did. And yet I look at how many Christians are actually doing those things. Yeah. I mean, how many Christians are actually going out and uh, forgiving sin? How many Christians are actually going out and encountering people who maybe they're demon possessed or oppressed or people that are just dealing with stuff, how many Christians are actually walking in their biblical authority? And we see it too with the the armor of God in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, yeah. Yeah, 6. six. six. Ephesians 6 and 610, I think is when it starts. Um, we see that, that it Paul is. tells us to, that you're not fighting a battle of flesh and blood, that this is a spiritual realm. You need to put this stuff on. This is serious things. When you walk in the name of the Lord, you need to be ready for battle. Yeah. Someone, I, I've been asked no, numerous times, if the spiritual world is real, why is it, why don't we see more demonically oppressed or possessed people in churches? Um, how come, you know, why don't we see, how come it's only in charismatic churches? And I actually have a thought, but I'd love to hear what you guys do. You have, do you have any thoughts about why is it that you only see those type of spiritual activities in either charismatic churches mm-hmm. uh, or church or or in third world countries? Yeah. Like if you go to third world countries where spirituality is is part of culture, it's far more accepted than if you come to rural Iowa. You may not see it, and it's is it because it's not there? I think Amanda could probably talk on this too. But like my first experience with demonic activity was actually in Peru. Yeah. And yeah. I remember Bethany, who was a lovely path is a lovely she just pastor. Spoke. She was just, she was here. just here and yeah. talked a little bit on the podcast too about this. But I remember her telling me when we were when I had seen it and I was so not freaked out, but just like, oh my goodness, this is really real. And she said, see in the States the devil wins because you say he's not real. That's right. He doesn't have to prove himself. He yeah. doesn't have to prove himself. Yeah. But see here in Peru, the devil is very real. And that's how he can attack because he doesn't have to attack here. We don't believe in it. And I, I, I think about that. When you're not looking for it, he wins. Yeah. When you don't see it, he wins. It's when you see it and now he's like, okay, I see you too. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. It's, it's almost like there's so many other little things that in the United States we would be focused on and be thinking about. So much to the effect that, well, we're not thinking about God anymore. How many, like, how many times we're just focused on our jobs or, you know, money that we, we want to make or the fun things we want to do. And it's like, we just don't have time for God. And so it's like, oh, well, my work's done. Satan's like, all right, here we go. Moving on. Yeah. yeah. I remember, like, one of the times I went to Peru and they were, like, casting out demons mm-hmm. and the Febreze in the face. And, I'm, <laughs> and I remember afterwards asking like, okay, 
that was like it was the weirdest experience I had ever had. Like, what just happened? Like, why were we spraying air fresheners and we had fans going and like they had people standing behind other people to like catch them if they fell. And I was like, what is going on? And she was mm. like, no, like, that's what we do. You know, the Febre- like the Febreze is because when you're casting out demons, like gases expel and stuff. And so it's the smell. Yeah. And I'm just like, I am so underprepared for like <laughs> that kind of stuff where I need to like, do I need a backpack with like a kit? Like I, <laughs> you're like, like a ghost, you're a demon buster. Yeah, Who are you going to call? Know. And <laughs> to them, that was like just a normal, like, that was a, that was a Tuesday. This is just, yeah. Our Tuesday night. And I'm just <laughs> wow. like, it's not even on what? Thursday. It's not even on Sunday. Like if someone came to me and needed help with that, I would be like, now I know like, okay, yeah. let me go to my bathroom and grab like, <laughs> like I would know, but I, yeah, that was something I was just like, well, but, I have no idea what it But even in that, like, I mean, again, you don't need Febreze to do that. That's something, that's a practical <laughs> thing they maybe discovered. But it's ultimately, if you don't have the authority of Jesus, there's this story mm. where some guys are trying to cast out demons and they don't, they're not coming in the name of Jesus. And the, the demons just beat these guys to shreds. Mm. And, and I think it's an ax. I don't remember the exact chapter. And they're like, the demons yeah. are like, we know Paul, we know Peter, we even know, we know Jesus. Who the heck are you? Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that, this is part of that priesthood of all believers that if we come in the name of Jesus, we have authority. Yeah. Um, but I, I think one of the reasons why maybe we don't see, we don't see the spiritual world in much, let's say even in Zion is Satan knows that if he keeps it low, he keeps a low profile, then he can keep on going under the radar. Mm-hmm. Like the enemy doesn't want to be seen, yeah. but when you go into churches that already know it's there, he, first of all, he can't hide anymore and he doesn't yeah. need to. And so now I think what he tries to do is intimidate, which is why yeah. the few encounters that I've had with the one with the, the girl I was talking about is possessed. And I think I had one other one possibly, but here's the other side is sometimes demonic possession and mental illness can look very similar. There's a lot of studies on that and a lot of criticisms in the church. Yeah. If you look at Catholicism and the way that they've handled exorcisms and things like that, there's a lot of criticisms on that. And, and I think for sure... Not every demon possession is mental illness and not every mental illness is demon possession. I think there are clearly things like I, I've, I've had friends that are schizophrenic and the way they talk and the things they see that it's their mind fracturing. Now, could there be demonic possession? Sure. We pray it. We pray for it, but we don't go crazy. Um, and you also look for history and that kind of stuff. And I think we have to be careful. C.S. Lewis uh, said it this way, and, and I'm going to paraphrase, but there's two equal and opposite dangers. And one is to believe that Satan is behind every rock. Yeah. And the other is to believe Satan is behind no rock. Yep. Yeah. And both he wins. That one, if he's got you on your heels and you're always afraid. And, and that's what I saw when I was part of the vineyard in more charismatic settings. Because I think sometimes the manifestations that take place in the spiritual, the demonic stuff, it's more to scare and intimidate the Christian. Yeah. And if you have Christians who don't understand their authority in Jesus, um, then that that they get freaked out. It's easy to steamroll them. Very easily. And that's why it's so important that you have, you understand authority. But even not, let's just move even outside of um, uh, demonic possession and exorcism and stuff like that. Because I think a lot that of people- feels so extreme. And some people are weirded out. There are probably people listening right now going, what? <laughs> right? Yeah. And I get that. Like that's, Welcome. that doesn't, that's not an everyday occurrence. But how about this? Have you ever, have you ever seen somebody that you felt like the Lord was telling you to pray for him, to pray for healing? And the, what, it, what stopped you from praying was fear of, what if it doesn't happen? Mm. One of my first experiences as a Christian, a new Christian, I was working uptown for Triclear Lake um, with the Chamber of Commerce. And somebody from church came up to me and was like, oh, hey, Miss Kate, like, how are you? And I chatted with them. They're like, hey, would you pray for me? I was like, oh, right here. Like, <laughs> I can do that. Uh, I'm busy. Like, come see me at church. And that still eats me up. Mm. And it was totally fear and embarrassment and i was like i can't why would i pray for you right what? here like what do you want from me like yeah. oh everybody's gonna see and i don't even know what to exactly. say like hey god yeah. long time no see <laughs> like, i was so new at it so i think about that like that fear i still think about that fear i think i've said that before in a prayer hey god what's up what's it's what's, me again <laughs> as long as you're not like what's up my dude yeah <laughs> well and and so i i remember um I was at the gym not too long ago and it's probably two years ago. And I just 
not too long ago, two years ago. <laughs> well, in that world of COVID, that's not too long ago. Holy cow. That's true. Uh, and I still remember I was working out and I didn't know this person. And the Lord just said, hey, this person, you need to go tell this person you're going to pray. And I had a word for him. And and that this person now goes to Zion, which is great. And, and I look at it and I was just trying to be obedient. But I think through in my own life, those moments of fear are usually when I don't want to look stupid. Yep. Which goes back mm-hmm. to my identity. If my identity isn't what other people think about me, I'm already not not already operating out of authority. Yeah. Um, the other one is, I remember having somebody who, uh, um, they had something physical. I don't remember what it was, but I felt like the Lord said, go pray for him. And I was like, but God, if, if you don't heal him, it's going to be abundantly clear. Like, I think they were in a wheelchair. And I was like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, because if I pray and then it doesn't happen, I'm going to look stupid. You're going to look stupid. And I look kind of like yours. I'm like, what if what if the reason why God wanted me to do that wasn't because he was going to heal. He wanted to see if I was obedient. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. What if he was willing to see is my identity and authority in him or is it in the outcome? Yeah, maybe not so much the gift as it is the faithfulness. Because I, I think about that. I think about the fact that a lot of times we mistake authority, meaning that whatever I say is going to come true. No, that's not what authority is. The authority we've been blessed with is the authority to do things that God wants to do. Yeah. And sometimes I step out of that authority and I think God told me to do something and he didn't. But other times, what if the reason why, oh, I think about Jesus, he sends out the disciples and they go out and they get to this one particular demon and no matter how hard they try, they can't cast it out. Yeah. And they come back to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, you said we, we did all these great things and then we had this one demon. And just like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, that one only comes out through prayer and fasting. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so I think part of that identity is so much of maybe the reason why we don't experience spiritual authority is because one, we haven't really understood our identity. We still have our identity in how people perceive us. But also maybe we don't understand what authority actually looks like. Yeah. And I think that's why the driving illustration, it, it really hit home for me is that driver's license, one, you have to have your picture on it. Mm. You don't have a driver's license without a picture. That picture is your identity. It's got your information, right? But that, the authority to drive doesn't give me the authority to do whatever I want. Yeah. I'm, I'm limited. I, have, I still have a speed limit. Like I think God has spiritual speed limits, so to speak. Yeah. Um, there are, you know, if the cops come after me, I can try and elude the cops, but they have more authority than I do. <laughs> yeah. uh, so when you when you think about this idea of power, there's these beautiful stories uh, um, in the Old Testament, and I'm actually going to be talking on them in a couple of weeks when we talk about glory, where God's power fills the temple, the glory fills the temple of the Lord, and it's like this thick cloud. Have you ever met somebody who has so much sense of their identity, authority, their power in the Lord that, and not that they have like a cloud oozing from them or anything like that, <laughs> but you can actually feel, have you ever met somebody like that before? I have. Mm-hmm. I see Kate, you're shaking your head. Yeah, for sure. I think of some of um, like my spiritual, not mentors, but definitely people that I look up to and think, wow, if I get there someday, I've done something right with my faith. Like Steph Tool, Trisha McGrath, like Lisa Bieber. All people who go to our church. All these women. Yeah. If they're not, I hope you're listening. I love you all. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Bob Bob Goff. Goff. (laughs) There we go. That's right. We have to do a, we have to do a weekly shout out to Bob Goff. I have not sent him my weekly email yet. You just need to send him the podcast and just a little snippet where we talk about Bob Goff. It's almost becoming an obsession. He might put a cease and desist. I know. I need to be careful. But anyway, I think of those women um, that that have such a deep, strong faith, but they're also, I think with that kind of authority and identity that they carry, one, they don't have to try for it. And they don't ever working. have to say like, hey, by the way, did you know I have authority in Jesus Christ? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about yeah, all my authority. You know, like, that's, that, that's that kind of power that maybe is ineffable or you can't really like explain did, it. Did you say ineffable? That's Isn't a great that, word. That's like effervescent. Yeah, I yeah. love that word as well. Yeah. Reverie is my favorite word. Reverie, but that, okay. That's enough of this. And <laughs> But I think of like this, this, this quality of leadership, you know, when they're saying like, oh, when you have spiritual leadership or spiritual power, you can't explain it. And I think that's what they're trying to describe is this presence of someone where they just kind of exude it because of their actions, the way they speak, the way they carry themselves. You can't really describe it. You have to see it and experience And it. where did it come from? I mean, where that's, did it go? Where, 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 where did it, geez, that was I'm so sorry. Where did, I mean, that's the I thing is like the people that I, I can think of a few individuals in my life. Um, 
who just have, you can tell they have a deep, rich walk with Jesus. And they say things, and, and not like there are people that are quiet, like John. I think about you, John Hopple. You don't talk a lot, but when you do, you usually say something really profound because you don't talk a lot. Proverbs says, uh, you know, even a fool seems wise when they talk if they're silent, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and then you have me. people like me. That said, John, I wasn't calling you a fool. Oh, yeah, no, no. No, but because, but because you don't talk a lot, when you do talk, it's usually very thoughtful. Unlike me, my mouth is just always going, and then every once in a while, there's a nugget of beauty in there. That's very. It's like panning for gold. Do you every once in a while get it? Yeah. Um, but... That spiritual authority came from deep places. It didn't come, and again, I, I've, I remember one of my professors in school, he dripped that, like it dripped from him. It was, there was so much, you could tell this wasn't just education for him. He loved Jesus. And when he talked about Jesus, you saw the excitement in him. You saw, um, you saw that everything he not only taught, he lived out. Mm -hmm. And then, then there. Are, I mean, there are other people, and, and here's the thing: even in our world, you can be a theologian and an atheist at the same time. Yeah. Um, I think there are a lot of Christians who know a lot about God, but don't don't actually have a relationship with God, and therefore they don't have the authority that comes from God. Yeah. And it's they're at their disposal. In uh, Timothy, Second Timothy three five, Paul describes it as those who have a form of godliness but deny its power. When you think about what does it look like in the church, or even people who say they're Christian, who have, they have all the access, all the potential for, for power, for the power of godliness, but don't live in it. And I can tell you in my own life, I had seasons of that. And I think a lot, most Christians do. I had times where I just simply did the walk, but I actually wasn't following. I wasn't walking out of power. I had the form. I could say all the right things. People looked and go, oh, yeah, that guy's a Christian, but there was nothing in my life that really demonstrated the power of Christ. What do you think that looks like to have a form of godliness but deny its power? What does that look like in the church? I think of sometimes people that walk in an authority without doing the work. Does oh, that make sense? Yeah. You know, Say more I, about that. That's good. So I have this idea in my head of maybe a Christian that knows they're a Christian, maybe has sway around in their community or um, has an authority as a spiritual leader in people's lives, but doesn't, doesn't put the work in, doesn't spend time with Jesus, yeah. doesn't um, st study in the word, doesn't refrain from worldly things, like goes out and maybe go, I don't know. I don't want to like be shamey of like, oh, you go out and party, but like Jesus went to parties. Jesus I'm not partied, saying, yeah. yeah. I'm not oh. saying, I'm trying to think of examples without like calling out or condemning anyone. That's not yeah. what I'm thinking of. Or like, I remember when I first was saved, This maybe I'll use myself here, call myself out. That's always a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. Always when good I was one. first saved, um, yeah, I, I went to the bar scene. I actually was a cigarette smoker. Not a lot of people know that about me. And um, it was weird, like having these two lives where it was like, sure, I teach Sunday school on Sunday in the mornings because, but, you know, Friday night, where am I? Or it's like... <clears throat> Maybe a saint like, on Sunday, a hellion Monday through Saturday. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like I would kind of pick and choose what hat I wanted to wear when yeah. it was convenient for me. Yep. Um, but what happened, just to speak on that, like what happened after I really chose Jesus, because he doesn't go anywhere. I'm the one that has to choose it. I have to turn back. When I finally chose Jesus, those things, like it tasted like ash in my mouth. Where It's like these things that used to bring me pleasure are now... I was like, man, why don't I enjoy these things anymore? It's because yeah. you know better, girlfriend. That's why. Yeah. yeah. So I think of that. I, I think when I, what comes to mind for me, and I see this a lot, are people who, they love Jesus. I really do. I think they love Jesus. I think they love, they would call themselves Christians if they're, they're not afraid to say they're Christian. But they haven't fully surrendered. They haven't gotten to the point where Jesus is the most important the most important, lovely, beautiful thing in their life. There's always something more. I remember when I was in, in high school, my youth pastor used the illustration, having the power, but having, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And he's like, it'd be like having a, a Porsche 911, but never driving it. Mm. You know, you've got this amazing car, amazing opportunity. But here's the sadder thing is you actually have no transportation. So you're taking the bus everywhere, but you've got this amazing car. You have 
all the power available to you, but you deny its power either because you're afraid to use it or because you don't want it. You know, some people, it's, it's almost like some people think their faith is like a collector's item. Yeah. Like yeah. I was, that's why I was just oh, thinking of like collectibles. Yeah. 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 It's something I collect. It's one of many, this is one of many hats that I wear and here's my faith hat. Yep. Yeah, it's and, like a placard. Yeah, and I wonder at what point that that identity moves in when all of a sudden you start realizing that no, this there actually is daily power, that you can actually see miracles happen and see God do incredible things in your life, but you've got to walk in that power and authority. I think sometimes to speak on the authority and you know the the temptation or the hesitation to step into that, I had a an experience where I was on a trip um, with a bunch of other students. So I got back to my hotel room and, you know, I want to sleep. It's one in the morning and there's this argument that's going on and going back and forth. It's like, well, I don't understand why, how this could be true. Like there's so many other religions out there and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there going, I'm like looking up at the ceiling going, is this me, Lord? <laughs> is it, am I, do you, and it's like two in the morning now. And I'm like, okay. And so I go down and I grab my Bible from my backpack and I'm just reading it for a little bit. And eventually they include me in the conversation. And I must have spent two hours talking yeah. and just explaining why I believe what I believe. And I don't know what happened to the people that were there. like, I don't know what's going to happen at the end. But it's one of those where I could like these experiences come up and it's like, is it me? It's probably not me. Nah. And I just leave. Yeah. And because it's uncomfortable. I didn't want to talk about it. I was like, I'm not the person to talk about this. I, I don't know and what I'm talking tired. about. And I'm tired. It's one in the morning. Yeah. But those opportunities come to all of us. We just have to be looking and see it and and, and recognize like, oh, it's I'm going to step into this. God. Yeah. So I just, I had an illustration that came to mind. I think yeah. this works. So it's like, imagine you become a police officer, right? And once you have the authority to stop crime, <laughs> like that's your job. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you're far more attentive to when crimes take place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and because cops know, they know what it is. Right. And so for even speeding, like I see somebody speeding, like whenever a cop sees them, it's an opportunity to pull somebody over. Um, not that that's ever happened to me before, <laughs> but I think what part of it is, is that once you understand what your authority is, you have to open your eyes to what the responsibility is then. Yep. And maybe that's why we don't see it is maybe the evidence that we're not walking in authority is that we haven't taken the responsibility serious. We yeah. don't actually have eyes to see where God is moving yet. Yep. Yeah. Because I guarantee you, if we were to go through Target or Walmart or just down the street, if we had eyes to see, I bet you the Holy Spirit would point things out. Actually, I know he would because he's done it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you see those opportunities. I mean, I think about some of our, our sisters in Christ here at Zion who've shared stories where, you know, praying for women in a bathroom mm-hmm. where, you know, least expected and the person gets delivered from uh, an addiction or a sin. I um, think of like Amanda, you have this beautiful affinity for like missions, community missions and local missions and yeah, being able to see that kind of stuff in a different way. I just think about that. Well, and all this comes from is it has to be his power. What, you were going to say something. You, know, you guys are like going on all these different like <laughs> good answers and stuff and i'm like thinking to myself all right it's like i'm giving you directions to get somewhere and i don't know if you're gonna get to that destination like Mm. okay turn left turn right like don't ask me for directions because i don't know where i'm going either like i'm just thinking of that like all right i can give you directions and i can tell you all of these things but i don't know if it's gonna get you (laughs) i hope it gets you to where you want to go but yeah um i don't I don't know if I explain it well enough or like I gave you the, you know, the right way to like figure out how to get there. Well, and this goes and I'll end with this because I know we're coming to the end of our time. When I was talking about when I struggled with defining spiritual authority, it's because they were always defining spiritual authority either by position or like it was some obscure thing. Mm-hmm. And I think now what I'm realizing is true spiritual authority. You can see when somebody has, it. you know, if you have it, when you have an intimate relationship with Jesus and it pours out of you. Our authority doesn't come from myself. It comes from my relationship with Jesus, which the evidence of that is not that I like Jesus. It's that I do the things Jesus has called me to do. I read his yeah. word. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when I meet Christians, you're like, well, I don't think I really need to read the Bible to know who God is. And I'm like, 
Well, that's the primary way God reveals himself to you. Good luck. That's like saying you're best friends with someone, but you've never actually physically talked to them. You've just heard about yeah. them from everyone else. Yep. But a lot of times, <laughs> but I think part of that is a lot of people I know who say that, they think the Bible is just a book. Mm -hmm. They don't understand that we believe it is God's word. It is authoritative, that it is how God is the primary way God has chosen to reveal himself. All scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching. Yeah. Second, yeah, Second, Second Timothy, Timothy 3, 6, 3, 15 and 16. But I think when we look at this, I think here's the thing that I, I really want us to land on. And we're getting ready for the following week, which, Kate, you're going to be hosting the podcast. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Because uh, I'm going oh to be out fishing. Yeah. A well-deserved break. Fishing and golfing, hopefully. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about God's glory. And I'm really, that's actually going to be a really fun conversation. Yeah. And I'm excited for what God's going to do on Sunday. But I think if we could land on anything, it would be this, is that when we have our identity secured in Christ, when we understand what our kingdom call is, our responsibility, when we have the Holy Spirit, which is promised to us, the freedom we gain in Christ is not to do whatever we want, but rather the authority to do the things that God has called us to. Yeah. And that means his kingdom purpose. And that, that plays out into my individual life, our marriages, our family, our church, our community. And I, and I hope you guys are in agreement with me. I think that the next thing God wants to do in Zion is about creating and unleashing authority in our people. Because yeah. imagine what happens. I mean, we're, we're a decent-sized church for our community. What would it look like if we had 500 people who are all walking in the authority Jesus gave them for their life? How radical, how amazing would our world? I mean, think about the communities that would take place. Think about the, the mission field. Think about all the things that God could do here in our, our little town of Clear Lake, Iowa. But I, I think that extends past that. And I really, I think there's some, I think God is doing something and has been for several years now around spiritual authority. You know who I, I, I think I want to bring on? I think I want to see if we can get Joe Bieber on. <laughs> I think yeah. that'd be fun. Joe's a son of Zion who God is just doing some remarkable things in and through him. First and foremost, he's a son of Jesus, but <laughs> um, he's somebody who is walking out in obedience and in faith in a, in a real tangible way because of his story and how God rescued him. So I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to reach out and see if we can get Joe on some point. And Bob Goff. Joe Bieber and Bob Goff. Right. Everyone look forward. Don't forget Bob Goff. Or we can get Bob Bieber. Is that, a, yeah. is that somebody? Sure. We have like some random dude. Just like, some, <laughs> like, hey, it's Bob Bieber. I heard you guys shout out to me. So if you're Bob Bieber out there, we care about you too. We, so does Jesus. Well, hey, thank you so much for tuning in. If you found this helpful, and I know we kind of talked about some fun, silly things, and that's okay. But uh, you know what? I think in all of this, we really want to encourage people and realize that there's a lot of stuff. I mean, first of all, there's a lot of things we can never talk about on a Sunday unless you want a two-hour message, mm. um, which I'd be fine with. I, <laughs> I think our church would be really small after that, though. Let's uh, table that. Let's, ta <laughs> let's, let's put a pin in that one. Yeah. Uh, so thank you so much for tuning in. If you found this helpful, do us a favor, share it with somebody. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback, comments. And we are going to be very in a, in a coming up here soon doing a podcast just answering questions where people can send in their questions nice. about the series or just in general and uh, get start working through some of those things. This is Jason. This is Amanda. Kate. And John. Thanks for tuning in to Breakthrough Breakdown. Have an amazing day. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of the Breakthrough Breakdown.